We continue in this blessed month of Ramadan where Allah has given us, this, given us this opportunity to fast, to pray, to recite Quran, to engage in acts of worship and devotion to Allah. And we also have the opportunity to go through the chapter of the Quran and try and better understand the words of Allah. And we'll be going, we have been going over chapter number 48, Surah Al-Fat. And tonight we continue in reviewing the topic of the evil thoughts which were in the minds of the hypocrites. Now if you'll recall when we looked at the discussion really from the very first night, it was about uh, the Rasul who saw a dream, the Messenger of Allah saw a dream that they were going to Umrah, to Mecca. He gathered 1400 companions from Medina, they all went with him. They got to the area of Hudaybiyah. The uh, Mushrikeen of the Quraysh were uh, informed that the Prophet and the Muslims are coming towards Mecca, they prevented them. They were blocked, basically, to perform the Umrah. And this is where the peace treaty of Hudaybiyah came about in the sixth year after the Hijrah. And as we looked at yesterday, that Allah talked about the fact that there were a group of people, uh, the A'rab, as Allah calls them in the Quran. And we mentioned the A'rab are not uh, Arab, they're two different things. A'rab are Arabs probably by their genealogy, but... The term A'rab referred to those Arabs that lived outside of the city. So they were desert dwellers as we uh, refer to that term of A'rab. So they had a unique psychology to them. They had a unique way of thought. Their thought, pro- pot, their thought process was different than people of the city. Um, and yesterday we looked at the fact that when they were invited to come with Rasulullah to the Umrah, they made up excuses. And they said, if you recall from yesterday, they said, شَغَلَتْنَا amwaluna wa ahluna فَاسْتَغْفِرْ lana." They said, you know what, our money, our wealth, our businesses are keeping us busy. Our family is keeping us busy. So, Ya Rasulullah, we can't come with you. Uh, but make dua for us. Ask Allah to forgive us for our inability to come to with, to come with you to the Umrah in Mecca. Continuing from there is where we want to, where we left off yesterday is where we continue tonight. In the next verse where Allah actually delves into the psychology of these detractors as I refer to them as. And Allah gives us a deeper evaluation uh, into the hearts and the minds of the A'rab, these Bedouins. Their apparent excuse was, as we said, that their wealth, their family, businesses prevented them from going to meet Rasulullah and going to the Umrah. But what really was deep down in their hearts? Why did they not want to join the messenger? You can imagine if we were living at that time, well, maybe it's hard to put ourselves in that foot in, in, the, in their in their shoes, but imagine if the prophet is with you or the imam of your time is with you, and he he says, you know what, we're going for Umrah, we're going to the house of Allah. What greater honor would there be than the prophet of Allah inviting you to join him? Right, and many people would be finding excuses to go. You know, they would say, you know, we can leave our wife behind, our children. Allah will take care of them. We're going to make it a point to go with you, prophet. But this group of Arab, they were the opposite. For some reason, their, their psychology did not allow them, it did not want them to go. They made excuses. Tonight we're going to look a bit deeper in verse number 12 of how Allah addresses these people and what really was in their hearts. So in this verse, verse number 12 of Surah Al-Fat, Allah says, أَعُوذُ بِاللَّهِ مِنَ الشَّيْطَانِ الرَّجِيمِ بَلْ ذَنَنْتُمْ أَنْ لَنْ يَنْقَلِبَ الرَّسُولُ وَالْمُؤْمِنُونَ إِلَىٰ أَحْلِيهِمْ أَبَدًا وَزُيِّنَ ذَلِكَ فِي قُلُوبِكُمْ وَذَنَنْتُمْ ذَنَّ السَّوْ وَكُنْتُمْ قَوْمًا بُورًا Allah says, indeed you, the Bedouin Arabs, thought that the messenger, meaning the Prophet Muhammad صلى الله عليه وآله وسلم, 
Allahumma salli ala Muhammad wa ala Muhammad. He says that you thought that the Prophet and the believers would never return to their families from this campaign. And this thought was decked out to be appealing in your hearts. And you entertain an evil thought that Allah would not help the believers and they would, not, and they would be defeated. You, in thinking so, have proved yourself to be, and you truly are a people useless and doomed to perish. So, it's a very strong verse, especially the last part. Allah is referring to people as people who are useless. Right? That's not a, that's not a sweet term. If you tell somebody you're a, youth, you're a useless person, you know, it's, it's a very harsh connotation to it. Um, so I want to just break down the verse into these three portions as we move on. So the very first part is where Allah says, بَلْ ظَنَنْتُمْ أَنْ لَنْ يَنْقَلِبَ الرَّسُولَ وَالْمُؤْمِنُونَ إِلَىٰ أَحْلِيهِمْ أَبَدًا Allah says that the first rationale, the first reason why you Bedouin Arabs didn't want to go, it wasn't that you were scared of your wealth or your family, that you wanted to protect your wives and your children. You were really worried that you would go to Mecca and you'd be killed by the mushrikeen. Because they knew that even though they were Muslim, there was that animosity. This is six years after the migration to Mecca. There's a lot of hatred between the Meccans of Quraysh, who are mostly, poly, or mostly if not all, polytheists, and the Muslims of Medina. There's a hatred between them. If the mushrikeen would ever encounter a Muslim, they would definitely kill them. So this group of the Bedouin Arabs, they were worried about that, right? They did not want to die, literally. That's as, as simple as you can put it, right? As, as Allah says, right, that baldanantum, that you thought, you had this conjecture, you had this preconceived notion in your mind that the messenger and the mu'mineen would never come back. <clears throat> they would go, try to perform the umrah, they would be killed, and that would be the end of the religion. So in essence, there's a subtle kind of... Um, a subtle psychology Allah is showing us of these people that, you know, they really weren't Muslims. They had come into religion, perhaps, uh, for the protection, for the honor, for the esteem of being within this group. But they didn't really mean it to be in there, right? They were just there because of the benefits. And we see this happen many times. People, will, people many times will join a group, will join a club to fit in, to be wanted, right? Many times youth join gangs, or they'll join groups at school uh, because they find benefit to be within a group, right? That group mentality. They think, okay, if I'm with them, then nothing will harm me. They'll protect me. So to an extent, a lot of these Bedouin tribes and even some of the people that lived really with Rasulullah in Medina, they had the same outlook and mentality that they were not in Islam for Allah. It wasn't because they really believed in one God. It wasn't because they submitted to Allah. It was because this was a new movement. It was a new ideology for them. It was a way to jump on the bandwagon to be protected and to basically, you know, use the religion for their own personal benefit. So the first reason, again, as we see, is that they, Allah says, look, you just were worried about your own lives. You had no care about anything else. The second part of their psychology Allah says, وَزُّيِّنَ ذَلِكَ فِي قُلُوبِكُمْ That this, was, this thought of yours was decked out to be made appealing in your hearts. Now, I'll, I'll go into that a bit later, but just generally what this means, and this is a concept heavily rooted in the Qur'an, I'll give you some of the, the statistics later, but we have this very prominent concept in Qur'an that when shaitan wants us to do things which are haram, which are wrong, he presents them to us or 
you know, and keep in mind, let me just mention that shaitan, I don't mean that one devil, Iblis. Shaitan could be a society, it could be family, it could be friends, it could be the environment we live in. It's where they take the ugliness of a sin that we know as sins, and it, they try to beautify, they give it zinat, right? Sazuyina dhalika, they give it zinat. Right? If you were to go and tell you know, uh, a believer, let's go to the bar and drink tonight, and we'll get drunk and have fun. Because as Muslims, if we've brought, been brought up on, on a knowledge that the alcohol is haram and the evils of it, right, we would not want to go to it because we know of the ugliness of the sin. But what happens is you see commercials from the liquor board. I don't know if it happens in, in, in Saskatchewan, and I know in Ontario, they'll have commercials, people in a nightclub, and they're dancing, and they're drinking, and they're having fun, Right? They're showing you the, the beauty of it, or what they perceive to be the beauty of drinking. If they were to show you, you know, you have a hangover in the morning, and you're vomiting, and you're, you know, your head, you have a bad headache, and all of this, then maybe people wouldn't do it. But when you portray it in a beautiful light, right? when you show people walking to a casino, dressed nicely, they're happy, they're smiling, they're putting money in a slot machine, and they win, you think, wow, that's so much. It's, you know, they've, they've, given, they've given zenith to this action, right? Were they to show you people who lose their life's fortune at the, at the hands of a, the casino, people wouldn't go, right? But shaitan has this ability to make the, the haram look good. And then people end up doing it. And then obviously they, as we mentioned last night, we try and place the blame on other people. The third thing that this verse mentions, Allah says that, Yesterday we looked at this this bad thoughts about Allah. Or yesterday or the day before we looked at it, I don't recall. But here again Allah says, you entertain evil thoughts about Allah, that He, would not, he wouldn't help the believers, and you would left, you'd be left defeated. And then Allah says, well, as we said, And I'm going to focus on that word a bit as well tonight. Uh, so moving on from here, you know, we see that Allah makes really the real reasons know why these A'rab, these Bedouin Arabs, did not accompany the Prophet and the Muslims to Mecca. The wealth, the family was just an excuse. Right? As we mentioned yesterday, those four levels of excuses that people make. These people didn't go because, in essence, Allah is saying, you really don't believe in Allah. You don't believe in the message of the Prophet. You don't believe in struggle. You don't believe in... In jihad, you don't believe in sacrifice. You don't believe in, you know, giving yourself up for the greater good of the community, for the ummah. And when you don't have confidence in Islam, when you don't believe Allah, when you doubt the messenger of Allah, then you're just there for the ride. Right? And unfortunately, even in the Muslim ummah today, we probably have a similar situation where we have people who are not really Muslims, we're not really convinced of Islam. They were born into religion and so they follow it because they don't want to be seen as leaving the herd. But they really don't believe in Allah. They don't have that confidence that Islam truly is from Allah. They don't believe that you know the messenger is the true. They don't believe in the Imams of Ahlul Bayt. They just again are going along for the ride. So Allah shows us, brothers and sisters, not only, again, for 14 centuries ago, but that this can become a real problem even in our lives, in our communities, in our Muslim societies, where you have people who are just Muslims because they have to be. You know, maybe they live in a country which is uh, 
named an Islamic Republic or that is based on Islamic principles. And so they feel, okay, well, I was born here, so I definitely naturally have to, by default, identify as being a Muslim. But again, there is no real devotion or commitment in their heart to the religion. I want to focus on this one portion of the verse. It's, um, it comes again in the Quran many times where Allah says, وَزُيِّنَ ذَلِكَ فِي كُلُوبِكُمْ This thought was decked out, was made to be look appealing or beautiful in your hearts. Now, as we see on screen that this term, or something close to it, Allah uses very, uh, some variations of the verb. Here it's zuyina. In other, ver- in other ayat, it's zayyina Allah, zayyina shaytanu a'amalahum. In any case, this phrase or the concept comes up 26 different times in the Quran. And in these 26 times, 21 times are in the negative light. So sometimes it's used in a positive understanding, but most of the time Allah uses it in a negative way. And in many instances, uh, the verb which Allah uses, this zuyina in this case, is used in a passive voice. What that basically means is we have in Arabic and like English, we have a passive voice and an active voice. An active voice would be, for example, that says that, for example, Ali hit that boy. Right? That Ali is now the active voice. He's the person who did the action. But if you say the boy was hit, you don't know who did the hitting. You just know an action was done. But now you need to, under, you need to research and investigate who did the action. First time it's easy, Ali did it. So you know the guilty party. But then if you just say Ali was hit or he was hit, or he was hit that boy was hit, you don't know who did the action. So Allah does this. He doesn't tell us a lot of times out of these 21 times. He doesn't always tell us. Uh, and actually it's only uh, five out of the 21 where we're told that it's shaitan. Where Allah says, وَزَيِّنَا shaitanu a'amalahum." For example, five times Allah says that shaitan made our sins or made sins in general look appealing to us so that we did them. The other 16 times Allah just says, وَزُيِّنَا it has been made beautiful. And so scholars have had to debate how or why would Allah do this? Does it mean Allah is doing it? Na'udhu billah, that Allah is making sins look nice, that we perform them? Because if that were the rationale, then it goes against A, the justice of Allah. It goes against this notion that Allah wants us to get to heaven. It goes against the notion of Allah being a guide. Because if Allah says, I want to guide you to Jannah, to keep, to keep you and guide you on Salatul Mustaqim, then it doesn't make sense for Allah to say, now I'm going to make sins look nice to you. Because if sins are going to be made looking nice to us, then obviously people will feel temptation. right? And we have this concept, I think even it's based in, in, in our society, on, on entrapment, where you... you you basically, you, you play the devil's advocate, you try and get somebody to commit, a, 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 to break the law, and then you catch them, and then you, you, know, you, you, you charge them with a crime. You know, we've seen this in Canada happen many times where there are young men who are uh, looking for a path in life, and many times it's actually RCMP or government officials, or RCMP officials in Canada that pretend to be wannabe terrorists. And they lead on young, naive Muslims to do acts of terrorism. 
And many times these cases are thrown out because they were put in a case of entrapment, where they were basically forced to do something that they normally would not have done. Right? And so Allah would never do that. Allah would never say, I'm going to put all of the temptation in haram, I'm going to make it look so appealing to you, and then because you do it, I'm going to throw you in hell. Right? It wouldn't be nice for, it wouldn't be fair for Allah to do that. Right? Um, so... What we have to understand, brothers and sisters, when we see these kind of verses, where Allah uses a, uh, a passive form of the verb, where there is no actor, where we're not being told who did the action, is we need to look at those verses, see is there other context within them? Are there other ayat where we can understand who is doing the action? Only five times we get the name of shaitan. Right? So those ayat, we definitely know, okay, shaitan, and again, shaitan is not one human being or one jinn or one individual. It could be like because Allah says in the Quran that there are shayateen min al jinni wal ins. There are shayateen, there are devils from amongst people, from amongst the jinn and people. So people around us will tempt us, right? And that's maybe why even we're told that, you know, to go to a gathering where, let's say, alcohol is being served and sitting at that table is haram because there is a form of temptation. Because your friend might say, oh, you know what? It's okay, you can just have a little bit of a, a drink and then you can go and pray and make forgiveness to God. Right? That temptation is that beautification of the sin. Right? That person is putting demonic thoughts into our mind. And that could be even a fellow Muslim it could be a husband, it could be the wife, it could be one's own children, it could be the, you know, the society in general. So we have to be aware of this and we have to recognize when the sins are being uh, you know, uh, made beautiful, when the sins are made it look to look appealing, that we don't fall for that trap. So you know, if you look at the sins in the Quran, Allah shows us the despicability and the ugliness of the sins. For example, in riba about gossiping, talking about other people. And keep in mind, brothers and sisters, that when we talk about riba, the definition of riba is to say something about another person, a mu'min, that is true about them, but they wouldn't like that to be said about them. And you can, I mean, we could expand that definition, maybe another time we might. But to say something true about somebody is riba. So even when you see somebody doing a sin, to talk about it to others is a form of riba and haram. Because you don't know, maybe that person did the sin. A, they didn't know that it was a sin. Or B, they recognized it and then they went home and did tawbah right away. So you see them doing something haram. You go and talk about it, but then they did tawbah and they're wiped away of that sin. But you've talked about them and they no longer do that action. Or they did something because they didn't know it was haram. And they learned the rules and they've stopped doing it. But you continue to talk about them. So Allah talks about riba as being equivalent to eating the flesh of your dead brother. Imagine your own flesh and blood brother or sister pass away. And you're giving them the ghusl. And you start, you take a knife and you start cutting up their flesh and eating their raw flesh. Nobody would do it, right? But Allah says riba is like that. So... Shaitan won't tell you all of this. He'll just say, you know what? You saw that brother or sister commit a sin? You should go and tell people about it to keep, make sure people keep away from them. What a bad person they are. They're doing sins. Look at you, mashallah. You don't do that. You're a good person. 
You wouldn't do that kind of a sin. So shaitan is preying on our on our on our, you know on us and we're he's putting that thought in our mind that yeah, you know what? That's right. What a bad person. I'm so much better than they are. I'm going to go tell people about this. And that's one example. We could you know extrapolate from that and build upon every other sin and how shaitan begins this process of the beautification of ugly deeds and gets us to fall for his temptation. Let me leave us in the next couple of minutes. We've got a couple more minutes before the time of Maghrib. Is how, do, how do these ugly appear, actions appear beautiful? Well, the answer to this is, as you can see on the screen, that while the human conscious, this, this wijdan, as they call it, is intact when our intellect or when our spiritual consciousness and our compass is intact, we can easily recognize good and bad. It's clear to us, right? But when it knowingly, when, when we begin to knowingly go towards sin and wrongdoing, when we begin to sin, then the light of that consciousness, that nur of iman, that nur of the intellect, that nur of, of, uh, of morality, it becomes fainter and fainter, right? Like you have a flashlight or you have your smartphone, right? And maybe a flashlight is a better example, but when you have a batteries in a flashlight and they're fully charged, then you use it. Right? But the more you use the battery, and if you abuse it, the batteries will begin to die out. And a point will come where the batteries are completely dead, and you'll have to charge it up again. So uh, this, this quotation is telling us that when we begin to sin, brothers and sisters, that light, that nur of consciousness begins to go fainter and fainter. And it reaches a point where the ugliness of sin gradually disappears. If this continues, and little by little ugly actions will look beautiful in our eyes, while the beautiful actions will look detestable. So sometimes we wonder, why is it that we Muslims look at certain things as being haram, but the society around us, those who don't follow religion especially, they have no problem with it, right? Sins of the flesh, for example, and other sins, people don't look at them as bad. They celebrate it. It's on social media. People promote their promiscuous lifestyles. You and I see that and we think that this is disgusting, and rightfully so. We have to understand that most likely for these individuals, A, they were not brought up with morality, with religion, with God consciousness, or if they were, they allowed sins and the society to take over their lives and that destroyed that light of the consciousness. And that can happen to us as well. And this is a fear that we should have when we live in a, like, in a society like Canada, where we are surrounded by sin, when we begin to become indifferent, right? For example, uh, in any sin, you know, drugs, alcohol being made illegal, the redefinition of marriage. When all of these things happen, it's one thing to, um, you know, just to look at it or just to recognize it happening. But when we begin to condone it and accept it and say, you know what, God created them that way. Let them marry who they want. It's their personal choice. When we begin to condone a sin, then we begin to diminish that light of our human consciousness. And the more we see sin happening and the more we don't even think that it's nasty, the more that light begins to fade and fade and we get to a point, brothers and sisters, where we become like the society, where these things don't bug us anymore. So we see these strange relationships that people are having and it doesn't phase us because we're like, okay, let them be. People can do what they want to do. 
And we have to be aware that that is a danger. And we've, we're only Shia Muslims in Canada for uh, two generations at most, I would have to say, right? Maybe three generations. But what's going to happen in four or five, ten generations when our great, 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 great grandchildren come? Will there be any human conscience left in them? Or will they have com- completely succumbed to secular life and left this moral compass of Islam? Inshallah, we'll conclude in the next couple of minutes or very soon. Uh, Allah repeats the fact that the Bedouin Arabs had a bad opinion of him, where he says, as we talked about previously. I just want to mention the last one. We'll conclude where Allah says, This word bura was really interesting when I, re- when I re- rent the Arabic dictionaries today. It means to perish. It means to be unsuccessful. It means to say that somebody would amount to nothing in life, that you'd be a useless loser. And as we said that Allah called these Bedouin Arabs, the Arab, He says, وَكُنْتُمْ كَوْمًا bura," That you are a worthless people, you have no use in life. As I said, it's a very harsh term if you think about it. But when you study and you analyze the life of these Arabs and the fact that they would come in and out of Islam, where they didn't have trust in Allah and the Prophet, they were only in religion for personal gain, we understand why Allah refers to them as useless losers who will amount to nothing in life. It doesn't mean they can't come out of it, they can, but they have to make the conscious effort. We have to make a conscious effort if we find ourselves in that situation, that we don't want to be losers and worthless, that we want to be worthwhile and we want to be productive members of this ummah.